Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Because you're demanding your rights that you think is owed to you. Could it be that even though you might be right, what we might say dispensationally, theologically right, but at the same time dispositionally, your emotions aren't right. You have pride in your life. And there is a time that we need to submit. Is that quite possible? Now, as I went through all of this, I said, I I need to have the life of Christ. I need an example. I need to be spelled out to me. Now, we all know enough of the Bible to know, yes, Jesus yielded his life. He obeyed his father, did his father's will on the earth. When he was on the cross, he says, it is finished. What is finished? Well, what is finished is what he was told to do, die on the cross, all of that. So he yielded to his father his, his, his whole life, and then he died on the cross. He did all of that. But I needed something more. And guess what? In this whole book, 1 Peter chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, I found a unique passage that so spoke to me that helped me to see what Christ did to unleash to me the whole problem I have with yieldedness or the lack thereof. Part of it is the reason I, don't, I, don't, I have a struggle with yieldedness, and I think some of you do too, is because we think that we're owed this. It is owed to us. or We have to fight for our rights. Or if we don't do this, we're going to lose money or lose our position or lose our job or lose, a, or lose something. We're, something's going to come back to us. So we have to fight for it. And again, that's part of our personality, part of our nature. We all struggle with it. So where can I find it in Christ? It's, it's a verse we so well know, but there's a phrase that's tucked away in it that I think will unleash the freedom for you to give it all up for God. And look at it here, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read a couple verses around it so you have it. It's a, it, it how it says it is so rich and so powerful that maybe it, it, it'll help you. Let me see if I can get this here for you. In verse 21, it says, For to this you were called, Christians, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And I'm not talking about the book because it deals more with suffering. So we should follow his steps. In other words, follow his example. Be willing to suffer. And generally, our suffering comes because we don't yield our rights most of the time. Then it says, Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. All right, now, I look at that and I say, All right. I have chosen as a Christian not to get to heaven, but because I am, to deal with sin. I know I'll never sin less, but I know I need to sin less. So if I want to follow the life of Christ, he's perfect, I'm not, but I want to be holy like he is, so I I want to deal with sin. Then it says where there's no guile found in his mouth. So in the midst of struggling with my tension in my inner life here of not wanting to yield, there's a lot of guile that comes out, a lot of junk that comes out, a lot of junk that comes out, manipulation, intimidation, and all of that while I'm fighting. Oops! Jesus wasn't like that. There was no guile who was pure, who was genuine. He was God, and he lives in me. I just need to unleash him. But that's not it. It goes on to say, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. I got thinking about that. So maybe in your course of discourse with others, you are reviled. Maybe it's come to that particular point that you want to pay back, or you feel like someone is now taking your rights away from you, and now they're coming at you. He goes on to say, when he suffered, he did not threaten. I wonder how many of us, when we finally are feeling like we're losing ground here, we still got to maintain our rights, we begin to threaten. We we we, we either curse or we we lose control or we, we, we say these things we wish we never said. So we're threatening back. So here's Christ, no sin, no guile. He was reviled. He didn't revile back. When they threatened him, he didn't threaten back. He just took it at that particular point. Now it goes on to say, that's still not enough. It goes on to say, and here's what it says, but committed himself 
to him would be God the Father who judges righteously. And that's where I, I that, it all came, came together for me. It said, how did he do all, how could he put up with all this junk at the very end of his life? And if anybody could get his rights, it would be Jesus because he never did anything wrong. There was no reason for him to die on the cross. He was perfect. He was being abused and maligned and lied about. And then he was going to have to suffer not only a death on the cross, but a horrible, despicable, public, painful death on the cross for nothing he ever did wrong. Now that, and by the way, I think he did all of that to show us no matter what we go through in this life, he went through it further than we did and we can withstand it because Jesus lives inside of us. But here's the phrase. When all this junk went against him, he committed himself to his Father who judges righteously. Sometimes when we don't yield is because we want our rights and so we begin to be our own judge. We begin to be our own jury. And sometimes we begin our own verbal, maybe sometimes physical, executioner on other people. The example here is Jesus says, you know, all of this stuff is happening to me. You're right. I don't deserve any of this stuff because I'm God. And I didn't say it in the passage, but he didn't fight back. He just took it all. Because in his heart, he still said this. You know what? God the Father is watching over all of this. God will judge them based on their motives. God's going to judge them on the circumstances. God's going to take care of them. But as far as I'm concerned, Jesus is saying, it'll be just a few moments later. I'm going to be with my Father in heaven after this all is over with. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, I can't take this analogy too far because we probably won't go to a cross. But I can take it this far. If you are now in a position where that people are coming against you and you're giving up your rights and you feel like you're losing, that phrase still works. What you lose now, you will gain later. If you then at that moment can say, you know what, God knows their hearts, I don't. God knows my heart. God knows what's really right and wrong. By the way, this is his kingdom that he's building. I'm just one of his builders. And however he wants to use me or abuse me or throw me away, it really doesn't matter. I'm trusting him, the righteous judge who is infinitely more wise than I am, who actually keeps all of the records so that at the judgment seat of Christ, when I get judged, he will forever remember that what I, got, what I lost here, I will gain there. God will take care of this because God is a righteous, holy, good, gracious, merciful, kind God, loving God to me. So we have to quit living like we live and own this earth. Now I started my little tirade here by saying that Peter said to us that you're nothing more than pilgrims and aliens in this world right here. And as long as I remember, hey, I can put up with whatever I lose here because it's such a short time for what God's going to give me later on. So it may mean that I'm going to have to give up my life or my health or money or my, or how people, my own reputation, what people might say. I might have to die to that. Can't defend all of that. But I can't revile, can't threaten, give it all to God because I know in God's timing, He'll bless me. Now, here's what you have to take away from this. We have to give God His calendar and our life of how He will balance the books. Some of us have come to a time in our life because we hear all this prosperity theology on television and all these other places that think that if I do all of this, I give it all up for God and I just yield myself, He'll bless me now with either money or a better job and things will happen and we hear all these testimonies. For some of us, God may never give us something better in this life. And what he's counting on us to remember that we already got something better when we got him as our savior and we're going to get something better which is the next life that's waiting for us. So we have to give him our calendar. That's why this message is probably the most foundational of all of them. We say we're to be available to other people. That means giving up our own calendar, our own time. When we want to be benevolent with others, that means we have to sometimes give up some money that we'd like to buy ourselves something for, but someone else has a greater need. And it goes right on through the character traits. So it's that, that yieldedness that we have to have. Now, the other two are pretty quick. 
How do I demonstrate yieldedness here? Removing my pride in order to cheerfully respond to changing circumstances. Give up my pride, we talked about that, to cheerfully respond to changing circumstances. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 8, and it says, Hezekiah and all them were talking about this. He says, Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord, enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Now look up here if you will. He's talking to these people, to the children of Israel, that at that time some of them were walking with God, but the majority of them were not following the Lord at all. And God was doing a great work in their midst, getting ready to judge them. Most of them were not following, following the Lord, as is the case with this passage. So now, through Hezekiah and those that are speaking, he now says this. He says this, and I think I can take it to myself. He says, the very first thing we need to do is we need to yield ourselves to the Lord. Then it says, enter his sanctuary. And finally, it says, to serve the Lord. I love that little one, two, three step there because it kind of tells us what do we do first. The first thing we need to do is to yield ourselves to the Lord. Catch me now. It's not so much yet yielding to those physical, fleshly, earthly people that are in our life. It's first and foremost yielding ourselves to the Lord because we know the heart of our authority figure is in the hand of God and God's permitting or prescribing that person to, to influence us pro or con, but God is the ultimate one watching how we're responding to us. So we need to yield ourselves to him. And for those of you that are here today, have you fully yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, not as your Savior, but as your Lord? And I'm speaking to believers. Is he the CEO of every area of your life, your business life, your family life, your church life, your community life? Is he the master and owner? Has he bought you? And if you will say theologically, yes, he has. Now, practically means that you have to allow him to do anything he wants with it. Why... When I think of how bad our life is, I have to immediately think how difficult it must be for the guys that are fighting in Afghanistan right now. All they're doing is drinking dusty air. I can imagine what that's like. Why are we so much better? How come we're here and we go to the beach this afternoon and they have to go through that? Because God has a bigger plan going and that's why I have to yield to him. In this passage, he's telling them, enter into the sanctuary because the temple was built. It wasn't destroyed then. So he said, come into the sanctuary. Now today, I don't want to make this analogy too far, this, we call this room our sanctuary or his sanctuary. I'll refer to it as, come on into the sanctuary, we're going to sing. This really isn't. It's nothing more than a room that's got a pitched roof, got an air conditioning in it, and a bunch of chairs. That's all that it is. It's just brick and mortar. Today he would say that there's no building that's his temple any longer. It's you and me. What? Don't you know? I bought you with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, with your mind. You are the temple of God. So I might be able to say that if I yield to the Lord, what I need now is to come into the sanctuary, which would be be around godly people that really have the same attitude of wanting to make Christ the Lord of their lives as a believer in Christ. Perhaps some of us that are struggling with demanding our rights is because we fellowship too much with people that want to demand their rights and we picked up on some of their worldview thinking. And God is now saying, hey, get away from that thinking and get around people that are putting Christ at the head of their life. And be around them even more because the day is approaching. It's getting worse and worse. But then it also says you need to serve the Lord. And I think the rest of that passage is kind of an eye-opener. Because it then says, so his judgment will turn from you. Now let me throw this out at you. You meditate on it. You take it to the Lord. See where you are. Do you feel right now that your prayers are only going as high as the roof of your mouth? Do you feel like you're just not underneath God's blessing? It just seems like you're struggling and the, uh, you know, the, the faster you go, the behinder you get kind of thing. 
Are you sensing the lack of the intimacy and the nearness of God? Could God be spanking you right now? And you've been getting spanked because you've been demanding your rights. It's got to be my way, my time, my money, my job, my schedule, my, 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 instead of not yielding. In this passage, we might be able to take from the Old Testament and put right here in Honolulu, right here in Nuanu, and say, Lord, I want to yield to you. I'm going to yield my life. I'm going to meet together in a sanctuary of people that are safe, wanting to worship and, and serve you. And Lord, I want to give my life back to you to do whatever you want. I, 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 you're my master, I'm your servant. To serve you means, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go where you want me to go, be what you want me to be, do what you want me to do, say what you want me to say, think the way you want me to think, because, Lord, it's all about you. You can do anything you want, because guess what, Lord? doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with you anyway. And when I stand before you, that's my great privilege, and that's my greatest blessing of all. That's what that passage is saying. And then finally, giving up my rights while still assuming my responsibility. I think that's a great balance in that passage because if, I, um, if I'm going to give up my rights, there are certain responsibilities that I need to do. Uh, let, me, let me paint a picture for you here, a little bit of a picture. Let's say that a husband tells the wife, they've discussed about dinner that night, and the husband, uh, together the wife says, what time would you like to have dinner? And the husband says, I'll be home at 6.30. And uh, so the wife says, okay, I'll have dinner on the table. So now... What happens is the husband comes home at 6.15, 6.30, and the wife has not even thought about dinner, has nothing prepared at all. Now, if he had his rights, he'd say, wait a minute, you agreed it should be blah, 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 this time you said it was, and my right, I have my meal, I'm the head of the household, I'm the boss, that meal should be on the table at 6.30. No, 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 no. What he now needs to do is to give up his rights and say, you know what? God is in control. It didn't happen the way it should have happened. Thought it was going to happen. Maybe something else is factored in. I really don't know. So what he does now is he assumes his responsibility, which is to love and to find out what was going on. Did wife had a hard day? Let's flip it around and put it on the wife. Let's say now that the wife heard from the husband another day that dinner on the table at 6.30. Now she works very hard to orchestrate her life, fits everything in, works hard, thinks about what would he really like today, hadn't had a good meal in a while because he'd been busy. Today I'm going to really work hard. I'm going to give him the meal that he hasn't had since maybe his birthday. So she cooks up this great meal. It's the best it could, but it has to be eaten right at 6.30 now because it's one of those. The longer it sits on the table, it starts to dry out. So she's ready to go. Candles are going. Kids are away. She's uh, 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 got perfume on. She's ready to go, he, waiting for him to come home. He doesn't come home at 6.30, doesn't come home at 7, doesn't answer a cell or his page or, or his, uh, what do you call it, um, is it messaging? And he, she doesn't know where he's at. He now comes lumbering home. I don't mean falling down drunk or anything. He just comes in about 8, 8.30 and She's now, you can imagine, hurt, broken, little angry, lack of trust thing going on here. He said he would, didn't call. Now she could say, I have my rights. I did all my work. I did what he said he wanted me to do. I did this for him. I did it because I want to bring joy to his life. And look at how he treated me. How can he do all of that stuff? Well, what she has to do is yield her rights. Yield to the fact that, hey, it didn't happen the way she hoped it would. Her expectations were dashed. I know she's hurt. She can't deny that. That's a real thing. But at the same time, she can't lose it. And now what she does... She listens to her husband. Her husband says, man, I'm so sorry. I blew it. I should have been here. And I you know, got so busy at work, blah, 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 whatever it might be. So she yields her rights, but she assumes her responsibility. The responsibility is that meal needs to be on the table. Now, can I tell you, most couples will get through that sometimes with very little bloodshed. <laughs> Hopefully none. But you know where the real test comes? Watch this. In either one of those scenarios, the next time. 
Because now the husband doesn't know, will she have it on the table on time or not? She won't know. Will he come home like the time he said he would? And so now you've got to yield in this issue. And I can tell you that all you that are married, all of you that have relationships, and that's going to happen, that little illustration with everything you go, it's going to come with, do I yield my rights? Yes, you do. But do I assume my responsibility to explain, I got this ready, where we go wrong, how can we do a better time the next time, what can we do to make it a little bit more consistently right the next time? Assuming responsibility means we talk it over without negative yelling energy and we come to a conclusion of how we can do better the next time. But we do yield our rights and we don't demand. That's how this whole thing fits together and that's this passage. Look at it. It says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lusts and do not present or yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Get all angry. Don't take your fist now and throw and hit and all that. Don't use your tongue in a way that will tear down. But present or yield yourselves to God as being alive from dead. In other words, you've been relieved from the separation. You now have, a, have Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And it says, now yield your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I've given you here two examples. One is a bad example of someone who yielded to a woman, a seductive woman, and that brought tremendous pain. So you have a bad example there. And then you have a good example where Nebuchadnezzar looked at three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Meshach, Yershach, and a bungalow here. And they decided that they're going to yield themselves to the Lord. They're not going to worship Nebuchadnezzar. And so they ended up going into a fiery pit. But because they didn't yield to him, but they yielded to God, great things happened because of that. And that was a great example. And I would like to end with that story because I believe that there's still many unwritten chapters of our life that are waiting to be written by God to the people who are willing to yield their life. You know that one of my most favorite missionaries of all is the missionary biography that I'm reading at that time. <laughs> and what I've been just absorbing myself in is the life of Hudson Taylor. He's had a lot of great little quips about his life. But the one that fits this message today is this. The times that I remember to apply it, remember it, use it, I've seen God do some, some remarkable things in my life. Would you like to know what he said? Real simple. He said, God always gives the best to those who leave the decision up to Him. And so some of us are demanding our own way. And at times we might have to say, Lord, you're going to give the best back to me. Maybe this life, maybe the next. But Lord, I'm going to let you make that decision. I'm just going to yield. Are you ready now to start over again with God and yielding? I know I am. And sometimes we have to start over and over again. But that's the life that's blessed. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. The first thing we need to do is to receive Christ as our Savior so that we have a yielded nature within us. Because if you remember, his whole life was yielding to those needs of the people that were around him and yielding to the commands of his Father. And so you need to come to Christ. And how you do that is perhaps even use this one little snapshot of an unyielded life by yourself and say, you know, Lord, I remember the times that I demanded my rights, had to have my own way, and I've done wrong. I've used words I shouldn't were, use. I've returned evil for evil. Evil was given to me, and I couldn't overcome that then, so I decided that I'm going to just fling evil back at that other person. I'm going to teach them a lesson for what they did to me. And so, Lord, I have now come to my mind. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I know that that isn't right. And so, Lord, I come to you right now thanking you that you'd forgive me of that sin, that you know that that's my nature, and that you'd give me a new nature in Christ. And, Lord, I want to thank you that going to heaven is not by how much I yield my daily life 
but it's if I'm right now willing to yield to you as the Savior of my life. And so, Lord, I come to you and I say, Lord, I'm going to give up what I used to think would get me to heaven, thinking it was by good works. I'm going to give that up. I'm going to forsake all of that. And I'm going to submit to your way to get to heaven. And I'm now going to accept Christ as my personal Savior, the one that will forgive me of all sin. I'm trusting in Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone in here that's willing to say, I'm a sinner, I know I've done things wrong, but I know that God loved me, that he gave his son, that if I believe in him, I wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. If you'd like to have maybe perhaps me pray for you, I'd like to do that. I'm going to offer to do that. And here's a way I think we can do it where you wouldn't uh, at all be embarrassed. And that is in a moment I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand if you're trusting Christ as your Savior here. When I see that hand, I'm just going to simply say thank you or God bless you. I won't have you stand up or come forward. But I will know that you raised your hand. And I'll I'll think that perhaps you in your heart trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, raising your hand didn't get you to heaven. And me praying for you don't do it either. But it was today in here, though, that you finally received Christ. You yielded what you often thought was your way to get to heaven. And now you've accepted his way. You said, all right, it's about you, Lord, not about me. And I'm trusting in you. And you'd like for me to pray for you. I'd like to know, is there anyone in here today that's trusted Christ as the Lord who died, rose again from the dead, shed the blood, that precious blood of Christ, to give us forgiveness of sin and satisfy that payment? Is there anyone at all? Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone that was trusting Christ in here this morning? Okay, Christians, let me go back to you and me for a moment. You know, I think you're enough of a believer to know that there's nothing said by accident that God in his sovereignty laid this message on my heart gave it to me through the word and for some reason sovereignly he brought you this message on yieldedness perhaps you are in the midst of a raging conflict right now and instead of judging others and how they're not yielding or maybe they're not yielding to you why don't you just look at yourself could you exchange your prideful life and allow Jesus Christ his yieldedness to shine through you, knowing that you can now trust that situation and yourself and perhaps even the consequences of it to a righteous judge who is God your Father and say, Lord, you take over, you protect me, you provide for me, you reward me in your timing, but Lord, right now, I will stand even alone and perhaps maligned just like you were Because I know that if you could trust yourself to that righteous judge, God the Father, I can do the same. And right now in the midst of my family, my relationships with my girlfriend, boyfriend, my children, my grandkids, my parents, my grandparents, my brother, my sister, people in church, people on my team, people in my club, people in my neighborhood, people on the job, people in the political arena. You're going to give them to the Lord right now. And you're going to say, Lord, do what you want with my life. How many of you would like to have prayer? Because right now you're going to yield that to the Lord. You're going to give that situation over to Him. And you'd like to have prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Let me caution you with this. Giving up your rights doesn't necessarily mean that you would ever give up your responsibility. You have to make an appeal. You have to speak. And sometimes you have to stand strong and unyielding when there's truth. When God tells you to do what's right. And so now if you're struggling to know how to handle certain situations. Find yourself a godly mentor of the same sex. That's walked the path. Perhaps a little longer than you have. 
And begin to dialogue over this through prayer and the word. Yourself, go to the Lord and ask for wisdom, believing that you'll have it and he'll give it to you more than you'll ever need. But ask him to help you through that. And remember what you lose now, you will gain later because God loves you. He's a merciful, generous God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this message was a message on being unyielded. And so, Lord, I pray that we would know the balance between yield and unyieldedness, that we know when to hold them and when to fold them, that we would be the kind of people that would show a testimony to others that if we lose now, that we will gain later because we already have gained everything. We're a partaker of your divine nature. We've been accepted to the beloved one. All of the wonderful blessings you've been given to us, Father, are in Christ, and we thank you for that. Now help us, Lord, to be strong where we need to be strong in the midst of opposition, but at the same time, when to be tender. Now, Lord, we ask this so that when the lost world would look at us, that they could glorify you by our works in the day of visitation. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.